Thanks, guys. We'll start in Marshall Athletics with Marshall Volleyball. The Herd is coming off a split against Middle Tennessee State at home this past weekend. The Herd won the first meeting a five-set comeback and then fell in four sets in the second match against the Blue Raiders last Saturday. Sierra DeBell continues to lead the team on offense with 231 kills and an average of 3.25 per set. She is also second on the team in digs with 190. Graduate student Destiny Leone continues to do her part. She's second in kills with 128 and, of course, is the leader at the net defensively with 86 total blocks, good for an average of about 1.2 per set. On the FAU side, this is a team that's opened up the season with a 7-3 record but has struggled over its last seven contests, winning just one of its last seven. The Owls ended on conference play going 0-3 on its home court against Miami, UCF, and Florida Gulf Coast. The Owls have three players averaging over two kills per set. Over to Marshall Women's Soccer as the Herd is in action this weekend, tomorrow night at Hoops Family Field as it welcomes in UTSA. Justin Zimmer and Ben Cower will have the call right here on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network with pregame coverage beginning at 6.45 and kickoff set for 7 p.m. The other broadcast for the FM88 sports staff this weekend will be Marshall Football. The pregame show will begin at 1 o'clock with kickoff from Jones C. Edwards Stadium set for 2 p.m. And other sports news starting in the NBA. L.A. Clippers rookie Jason Preston has right foot surgery. The L.A. Clippers rookie point guard underwent surgery on his right foot earlier today and is expected to miss a significant portion of this season. Preston suffered the injury in a workout prior to the team opening its training camp. He was traded to the Clippers after being drafted by Orlando with the 33rd overall pick this past NBA draft. Los Angeles Lakers forward Trevor Ariza has ankle surgery and is going to be sidelined for about two months. Ariza, one of 11 new players added by the Lakers in the offseason, underwent the procedure on Wednesday. He has missed most of training camp because of the ankle injury. The Lakers said Ariza will be reevaluated in approximately eight weeks. Ariza returned to L.A. for a second stint with the franchise after winning a championship alongside Kobe Bryant and Pau Gasol in 2009. In Major League Baseball last night, it was the Dodgers defeating the St. Louis Cardinals by a final score of 3-1 in the NL wildcard matchup. The Dodgers outhit the Cardinals 7-5. It was Chris Taylor's two-run walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth inning that propelled the Dodgers to the victory over the Cardinals. The Dodgers will return to the field tomorrow night when it travels to San Francisco, California at Oracle Park to take on the San Francisco Giants and in Game 1 of the NLDS. Two matchups in Major League Baseball tonight, White Sox and Astros Game 1 of the ALDS, and then the Red Sox will travel to St. Petersburg, Florida and Tropicana Field to take on the Rays. In the NFL, one Thursday night football matchup. It features the 3-1 Los Angeles Rams and the 2-2 Seattle Seahawks. Matthew Stafford's Los Angeles Rams coming off their first loss of the season, a 17-point home loss to the Arizona Cardinals, while Seattle is coming off a road victory against the San Francisco 49ers. Kickoff from Seattle is set for 8.20 p.m., and the game can be seen on Fox or the NFL Network. In college football tonight, two Thursday night matchups, both kicking off at 7.30. 
Number 15, Coastal Carolina, takes its undefeated record at 5-0 on the road to take on Arkansas State for a Sunbelt Conference matchup. That game can be seen on ESPNU. The game that can be seen on ESPN will feature a pair of American Conference teams as 1-4 Tulane hosts 4-1 Houston. One final note in college football, LSU cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. out indefinitely after having a procedure on an injured foot. The junior cornerback originally injured the foot in the summer, but was able to return and play for the Tigers in the first three games this season. Head coach of LSU, Ed Orgeron, said there is no timetable for Stingley's return. That does it for the FM88 Sports Report. For the FM88 Sports Team, I'm Andrew Rogers. A rare spring women's college soccer season brought a first for the Marshall women's soccer team. Freshman Abby Hugh was named Conference USA's Freshman of the Year, becoming the first ever in Marshall's program. It was probably around 2.45 when Coach Swan called me and was like, before like it was like out in the public and on the media and everything. And I was just like, I couldn't stop smiling. It was like one of those feelings that just made me like so happy. And it was like a shock because I really didn't expect to get anything our season and like how everything ended. So like I really wasn't expecting like anything at all. But so it was just like a really good overwhelming feeling, but like in a good way. Along with winning freshman of the year, Hugh was named to the Conference USA All-Freshman Team and the All-Conference Third Team. First-year head coach Michael Swan says Hugh is worthy of the honor she received. She deserves it. She's the one when she crosses that line and performs the way she performs. So, so we're proud of her in that aspect. Selfishly, from a program's point of view, Marshall's offense back out onto the field. First down and 10 from the Hilltoppers, 43. Three wide split out to the near side as Wells will throw. Over the middle pass is caught wide open. Devin Miller down inside the 25. He'll be hit and brought down by Simpkins. The backup safety made the stop as Devin Miller records his eighth catch of the season. It goes for 20 yards. Marshall goes back to the line quickly. All still on the far hash mark. Wells will take the snap handed to Ali. In between the tackles, Ali barrels forward and gets a push from his lineman to move the football to the 20. Maybe a three-yard pickup on what was a first down and 10 from the 23. It'll be second down and seven now at the 20 with the herd in the red zone for the second time in as many drives. 2.30 and counting first quarter. Gamage the lone wide receiver to the far side. Harrison and Johnson to the near side. That ball on the far hash mark. 2.15 now and counting in this first quarter. Heard already up 7-0, trying to add on to an early lead. Wells out of the shotgun, takes the snap. He'll throw, looking for a sideline. Pass caught by Gamage, works his way toward the middle of the field on a screen play. Got some blocks from his left tackle, Ulmer, and left guard, Salguero, and Gamage was able to sneak out a yard to the 19. So third and six. Hilltoppers did really good job staying in there pursuit lanes there Andrew Gamage made a few men miss but there was always another guy just waiting there not not all running to the same spot and then letting Gamage you know find a hole in the defense really good job there minute 30 and counting ball on the far hash mark third and six trips to the near side Wells to throw on third down looking near side passes caught Stone Scarcelli down inside the 15 he'll be thrown down inside the 10 first down heard as Scarcelli able to make the catch and run for the first down. 
to the nine-yard line, 10 yards. Hunter made the stop for the Hilltoppers. Marshall goes back to the line quickly. First and goal from the nine, approaching the one-minute mark of the first quarter. Marshall men's soccer star Vitor Diaz has picked up right where he left off from last season. Diaz, who won the Conference USA Player of the Year award last year, is already receiving more recognition for his play. After a brilliant first week of play that included three goals and two assists, Diaz was named Conference USA Offensive Player of the Week. It feels really good to be recognized since we work so hard here every day. Every training session we are giving everything. When you get to the point people recognize how hard it works, it just, it just feels amazing. After having such recent success, Diaz is now having to deal with raised expectations from the fans and also more attention from opposing defenses. It's probably the main thing to deal with since now you basically have a, a target on your back. We've played four games so far and I've been getting like man-to-man -man marking and people started to be aware of you. It's really tough and, it, and it's also a mental game against yourself to fight with, to keep up with the expectations. Not only does Diaz have a target on his back now, the entire team has one as the reigning national champions. Welcome back inside the Cam Henderson Center. Marshall will start with the basketball in this second half, down by nine points. Andrew Rogers, Jaden Taylor, glad to have you with us for the second half. Big thanks to Christian Palmer for the halftime scoreboard update. Savannah Wheeler with the ball out front. Now over right wing, it's Pearson. Tries a wraparound pass into the post, and it's a turnover. So Marshall on its opening possession to start the half. It results in a turnover. A couple of notes to think about here. Old Dominion 4-1 when leading at the half. Marshall 0-4 when trailing at the half. Wheaton out front now over to Robinson, left wing. Top of the key, it's M Victoria Morris. Now to Thompson, over to Wheaton, top of the key. Adams with it, left wing. Tries to get it to Thompson, deflected, gets it back. Six to shoot, Adams stops, pops from the free throw line, left to sh it's short. Fight for the rebound, and Wheeler comes away with it. Wheeler will push in transition. Picks up her dribble, top of the key, over to CC Mays, right wing. Mays, pick and roll with Roper. Roper back out to Mays, right wing. And Marshall will reset on offense. Nothing going on that pick and roll. Wheeler out front, gets a screen from Coklaw. Wheeler into the corner. Pearson, jump hook from Roper off glass. Good. She had the mismatch with Mariah Adams. Honor and Roper banks it in for her second field goal. Four points for Roper. It's a seven-point Monarch lead. 8.40 and counting left in the third. Only a couple possessions, Andrew, but it seems that this Marshall offense is already a little more committed at getting to the getting to the rim and on the defensive end bringing some more intensity. Here's intensity as Mays tries to force a tie-up, but a, a Foul is called on the drive by Mays. A little physical on the drive with CC Mays as Morris tried to get to the rim. It's the first on Mays, the first on the team in this second half. Inbounds comes from Mariah Adams on the far left baseline. She gets it into Robinson, checks her feet, launches a three. No good. CC Mays, the freshman, with the rebound. Mays will push in transition, dribbles it to the right wing, gets a screen from Roper over to Coklaw, top of the key. Now over to Pearson, left wing. Pearson drives with the left hand. Layup, up, good. What a take from Taylor Pearson. So Pearson and Roper with two points apiece to start the second half, and the Monarch lead down to five. 
Robinson will try another three, same spot, different result again. Drills it, Robinson's into double figure. She's got 11 now to lead the Monarchs. And Old Dominion back up eight. Robinson coming into the game, seven of 13 from three, now one of two in this game. Certainly capable of hitting that shot. Mays with it right wing. Sings it over to Roper, top of the key, now to Coclaw. Coclaw over to Wheeler, Wheeler drives, floater in the lane, got it over the outstretched arms of Thompson. Wheeler puts it in, 13 for Wheeler. Lead back down to six from Old Dominion, 7.25 and counting. Good job from Savannah Wheeler, come off the handoff from Lorelei Roper and turn the corner and get right to the basket for that floater. Robinson top of the key, gives it to Asia Thompson. Asia Thompson, left elbow, spins inside over Colclaw, doesn't go, rebound Kennedy Colclaw. Outlet pass to Wheeler. Abigail Herring has had a successful collegiate career so far. Up to this point, the junior runner from Parkersburg, West Virginia, has participated in races since her freshman year. In every season, she has been the top finisher in at least two races. However, so far in the 2021 season, she's finished as the top finisher in the Virginia Tech Invitational and at the University of Virginia Panorama Farms Invitational. This past weekend, Herring won her first collegiate cross-country meet at the Living Lou Classic. In her first collegiate win, she won the race wire to wire. Herring described how she maintained her composure during the race. I typically take races out pretty fast fast and then kind of just like try and hold on but there's people like in the crowd like you know telling me where everyone was at so I knew that there was like people still around me so I just went. Cross-country coach Caleb Bowen spoke on how watching Herring win is one of the greatest joys as a coach considering Herring's journey at Marshall and how her win can inspire other members on the team. It's been amazing to watch her progression. When we brought her in, she was a walk-on. She was a 524 miler in, out of high school, and that's pretty quick, but I mean, we've recruited a lot faster milers than that. So just watching her progress throughout each year and just getting a little bit better, a little bit better, and it's been amazing. It's been a blessing as a coach to see that. And I think it's instilled a certain amount of culture with the team that if you work hard, you will progress and get better because everybody can see that, you know, from the best athletes on the team to the worst athletes on the team. You know, everybody sees, you know, the, the hard work pay off, and I think that's the main thing. Back here at Dot Hicks Field, bottom of the fourth inning, one nothing Marshall, thanks to a walked-in run. Sierra Huerta drew a walk last Half inning for the Hurt Bats at the bottom of the third inning to score Blakely Birch to give Marshall the one nothing lead. As we head to the bottom of the fourth, Maya Stevenson will lead things off. First pitch swinging and missing is Stevenson to begin the at-bat. 0-1 to Maya Stevenson. Stevenson struck out back in the second inning, trying to keep a four-game hitting streak alive as she pokes one deep out into left field, but it's going to hook foul. <laughs> that one was hit. It was more than a poke, Scott. That was way gone if it would have stayed fair. Oh, my. I and, Well, and that's what she can do. I mean, Stevenson, just a really fluid, effortless swing and a lot of pop in it. And I, she can hit home runs even when she's reaching for an outside pitch that coaches would probably wish that she wasn't swinging at. Um, but she's hit last year. She hit two high up off that building out there in the outfield. I mean, she can really punch them. The 0-2 misses outside for a ball, and I'd say after that one, Gardner's going to be a little careful with what she throws Stevenson here ahead in the count. A 1-2 from Gardner, also a pitch outside that just misses for another ball. So Stevenson with a couple of good eyes that time, able to 
take and lay off of the outside fastball, and it's a 2-2 count now. No one out. Leadoff hitter Stevenson at the plate here in the bottom of the fourth. The 2-2 is hit high into left. Coming in is Berthume, and she's under it to make the catch for out number one as Maya Stevenson is retired. Just a little too much of an undercut on that one, but like you were saying, you know, Gardner was really going to try and stick away from Stevenson because you know, that's what she really got her to strike out on that first time up at the plate, too, was getting her to chase something going low and away. The freshman catcher, Cat second at the plate for the herd. The lefty swings at the first pitch, hits it on the ground, just short. Fielding it as Summer Baker throws it on to first for the second out of the inning. Good play from Baker, the sophomore shortstop, throwing it on to Jones at first for the second out. Two quick outs here in the bottom of the fourth inning in what's been a really quick game so far. First pitch just after 1 o'clock, one hour into this contest. We're about to be through four maybe here soon as the first pitch swinging is Hollowell, and she's retired as it was right back to Gardner who throws it on to first for out number three. We'll head to the top of the fifth. It's still Marshall by one, one to nothing here at Dot Hicks Field. You're listening to Marshall Softball on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network. And, Coach, I want to go to you talking about the success of the overall team. You look back from 2019, this, your program, it's been in the top ranking, of at, least, at least in your meets that you've been competing in. So the program, you guys have had a lot of success. How do you guys try to continue building a winning tradition when you guys are already having success in the past couple of years? Uh, well, a lot of it's recruiting. I mean, you got to recruit good kids that buy into the program. You got to get good kids that are going to work hard, uh, you know, dig deep on race day. Uh, that's, I mean, that's essentially what's it. And then just try to feed into that culture of just working really hard and getting better each week. Um, you know, we try to schedule our meets as well as we can to set our teams up for the conference and regional championship. Uh, that's one thing that the, the men's team does really well is peak for the uh, conference championship. Uh, so, like, in 2019, our men's team is probably the best it's ever been. Uh, we had, you know, really good seniors on that team with Dan Green, Alex Minor, uh, and uh, who else? Anyway, we had a really good, solid uh, core of senior-led guys, and now we're seeing that with the junior class right now. You know, they're progressing and challenging each other to be better. And, yeah, we've had some unfortunate things happen. Uh, COVID was really hard on the men's team because they weren't able to compete for – over a year uh, and then like last year we were only ha allowed to have three meets so basically it's been two years since they've really been back into it uh, where the women they did compete in the spring and winter so you know it's going to take a good time to get them to where they can be but we're definitely we're in it for the long haul and that's a fun atmosphere to be in basketball friday night in west virginia introduces all of west virginia to west virginia high school hoops one night at a time Executive producer Fred Dameron formulated the concept of a scholastic basketball-focused radio program calling upon several individuals to help make it happen. Rick Marone and I had a conversation with Fred Persinger of Metro News. We asked Fred, Fred, are you ever going to do a basketball show like Game Night? And he said, oh, that would be really too tough. It would be hard keeping track of all the games around the state, and he just thought that it would be too difficult. So we said, well, hey, Fred, we're interested in trying to do that. Would you help us? He said, sure, we'll help you any way we can. So we kind of took the game night format, and the next phone call that Rick and I made was to Ryan Epling. 
And we talked to Ryan on the telephone to see if he would be interested in being the host. And Ryan said he was in. So then what I did is I talked to Dr. Bailey at Marshall and kind of what we wanted to do because we needed a central location and it was going to take a whole lot of people to do this. And Mm -hmm. the perfect operational place was WMUL. And at the time, James Collier was sports director. We talked, we had a meeting with the sports folks and so forth. So we decided we were going to give it a roll. Director of the program, Marcus Constantino, says the reason for starting the program was because its absence was a glaring omission. It started in my last semester at Marshall in 2013, and it basically started because there was nothing else like it in the state. You always hear so much coverage on football. It's a very well-covered sport, but we didn't really have an equivalent for basketball in the state, particularly at the statewide level. The lead host of the program, Ryan Epling, says the purpose is to further the appeal of high school basketball in the state of West Virginia that's always been present. I mean, we want to serve the basketball community of this state. West Virginia has a rich history in basketball. Mm -hmm. You go to the basketball state tournament in normal times, and a single session of the boys' basketball state tournament will outdraw two of the Super 6 games in football, the state championship games of any two classes combined almost every single year and every single boys' basketball session. Now it is. I mean, obviously the boys' basketball tournament is a little more conducive and fan-friendly from that standpoint. There is great interest in this sport in this state, and we want to serve that interest We want to serve those who are interested and maybe kind of get some of the ones who had an interest and maybe lost it, kind of help get them back a little bit, promote the kids on the floor, promote the communities. Welcome back to Hood Roundup, the only show that recaps the week that was in Marshall Athletics. I'm Justin Zimmer. Marshall Volleyball was in action this past weekend against the Florida Atlantic Owls. On Friday, the Herd swept the Owls 3-0. Following the next day on Saturday, the Herd would collect its second sweep of the weekend, winning 3-0. Sierra DeBout recorded her 1,300th kill in her Marshall career and 1,397th in her collegiate career. DeBout is still fourth all-time in program history. Macy McElhinney came through with her first career double-double, tallying 12 kills and a career-best 11 digs. Marshall Volleyball is back in action tonight against the Old Dominion Monarchs with first serve at 6 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 5.45. Ben Cower and Christian Palmer will have the call of that game for you. Marshall Men's Golf will be in action next week when the team competes in the Dayton Flyer Intercollegiate. The tournament will be held at NCR Country Club on Monday and Tuesday. This will be the last tournament for men's golf in the fall season before the spring season, in that which will begin in February. And finally this afternoon, Marshall Softball will begin their fall ball exhibitions this weekend. On Saturday, the Thudding Herd will take on the Kentucky Christian University Knights. First pitch is scheduled for 11 a.m. Then on Sunday, Marshall Softball will host a doubleheader, taking on the Fairmont State Fighting Falcons in a doubleheader. First pitch for Game 1 is scheduled at 12 o'clock, and Game 2 scheduled for 2 o'clock. College football playoff rankings came out earlier this week. A lot of people up in arms. I want to know what your opinions are on the top four at the moment, and who would your top four be if you would make any changes? And we'll start with Alex. Okay, so I think... For the purpose of fairness, Alabama is ranked too high. I don't. That's not me saying that. I don't think Alabama is terrific, but they get credit for having a loss against Texas A&M and being ranked above 
an undefeated Michigan State team who has a better win on their resume against Michigan than any win that Alabama has all season long. The same thing with Oregon. Oregon has a better win on their resume than any win that Alabama has all season long and in going into Columbus and beating Ohio State. I do like how the committee ranked Oregon over Ohio State, even though at this point it looks like Ohio State's probably a better well, football team. Well, they did head-to-head. That's the, yeah, you that's have to happened. have – they. this committee clearly values head-to-head matchups, as you can see Oregon ranked over Ohio State, and it's the same thing. As they should. When you Yeah, when you go down the line and uh, look at some of these matchups here. I thought it was interesting Oklahoma was at eight, but, I mean – I think the deal is, here's the deal with the committee. The most shocking rankings or the most exciting rankings are the first ones and the last ones. And the first ones usually shake up the AP poll because we're going to talk about a team down here in Cincinnati who went from number two in the AP poll to six. And, I mean, I understand, you know, strength of schedule is important and all that, but also you look at Cincinnati and they got a better win than anybody that – Alabama has a win over, and on the road at Notre Dame, a team no one has won at Notre Dame since Georgia in 2017. Notre Dame, of course, a top-10 team. So, you know, it's when you it's going to be subjective. You're going to bring people in, and they're going to think who they value. They clearly valued the Big Ten. You look at all these Big Ten teams that are ranked in the top 10. I believe there's three of them here. Um, and then you go down the line, and they really just don't have much care for some of these other group of five teams, such as UTSA, who's undefeated. They're not in these rankings. SMU, 7-1, uh, and one, not in these rankings. Yeah. Houston, not in these rankings. So this is pretty typical. Um, I think it's interesting that Minnesota gets in at 20 when they have a loss to Bowling Green on their resume. It's a little bit tough. Um, and it's tough when the committee gets to determine what's a quality win by completely altering the rankings and saying, oh, no, we believe that Mississippi State's the 17th best team in the nation. It's kind of like, okay. I have some problems, but I I like the top four. I like that Georgia's one, Alabama's two. Michigan State is not a a real number three team. Michigan's nothing really to brag about. You look back at Michigan State in this schedule, yes, you have the Michigan win, but there's wins on here that's scary, like five points on the road against Indiana, three point you barely beat. Nebraska in overtime. You had to come back. You were down a touchdown in the fourth quarter. You get a punt return for a score, win in overtime by a field goal. You don't have enough convincing victories that make them seem like the best team. They've just been able you know to survive in advance. A loss. I, I understand that. But when you look at the eye test and the win margin, they're barely undefeated. They could easily be on the schedule right now with two losses because they had to storm back against Michigan. I believe, right? Was it Michigan? I didn't really follow the game. Hold on. Yeah, they, uh, it, they it was 30-14 to 14 in the third quarter, yeah, so they had to storm back. And I'm not saying they're a bad team for getting off to slow starts. That takes resiliency to have to battle back and win those football games. But when you look at Alabama, besides the Texas A&M game, they've blown everybody else out besides Florida. They, Florida was a tight game, but you blow out Mississippi State, Tennessee, Ole Miss, who was in the top 15 at the time, Miami, who was top five or top 15 to start the season two. So I understand why Alabama's two, not just because the brand and the overall body of work from years past, that plays a factor in, I think, as well. But when you look at what they've done, it makes sense. And then Oregon's ahead of Ohio State, which should be uh, true. I don't like Michigan at seven. I think Oklahoma should be seven, Notre Dame's eight, Michigan's nine, Wake Forest ten. I don't think Notre Dame is worse than Wake Forest or Michigan. Michigan's not really good. They're not really a good football team, and Michigan State's not either. So I end, I'm glad Michigan State's three because they sh- they really, honestly, if Ohio State's undefeated, Michigan State's not in the top four. doesn't matter if Michigan State's still undefeated. Ohio State would be four, and Oregon's three. 
if those or depending on well Oregon wouldn't be I guess in the top four but I think it would be looked at differently if Ohio State was still undefeated rather than Michigan State being undefeated Michigan State is a fake undefeated team they'll lose two games by the end okay of the but but you have to reward what happens on the field I agree but uh, well, their win margin's not good enough they've but survived against lost. bad teams let's, let's let's look at the Committee criteria. They're not looking at Alabama, win Texas A&M is not a bad team. They're what were they ranked? They're ranked A&M. Four, they're ranked 14, and they have two I losses in the best head. conference in football. Well, Texas that's A&M not a lost, bad loss. They lost to Mississippi State, and Mississippi State lost to Memphis. So, still though, they're ranked 14. So the committee values. Well, that's what, what the committee they says they're ranked, and that's what matters though. So I think when you bring this in, Alabama, they lost. I think that when you're talking about Michigan State. You look at some. Let's look at uh, common opponents. They both played Miami. They both blew Miami out. Yep. Uh, Michigan State and Alabama. And like I said, quality of wins has to matter. As of now, Alabama does not have a win with a team who is currently in the top ten. They're the the highest ranked team that Alabama has played currently ranked is Texas A and M, and they lost. Second highest is 16th ranked Ole Miss, who just went and lost to Auburn this weekend. So. I think you have to reward what happens on the field. What happens on the field has to matter. Because if we want to just say, all right, line them up, who's got the most five stars? It's going to be Alabama and Georgia. Then what's the what's the point? We need to play these games and see. And as of right now, Michigan State has a better win than any singular win that Alabama has, and they don't have I a loss. Again, it's the overall body of work, though. Michigan State has not blown some of these teams out of the water that but they, they should. But it, uh, it, it's different, though, because you could be – uh, there's fake undefeated teams out there, if that makes sense. Like like Alabama. No, they've blown every team out. They've Except played, they they've have played two. They've played two one possession games, and, and they they've lost, lost one, one and won one, one the other. They've dominated everybody else. Well, I have empathy for the committee this year because I think they've had a tough task. I actually the past couple of nights I've actually sat down and write it. I wrote wrote down a top twenty five. So it, I'll tell you this: the committee had three days to do this. I guarantee there were a lot of discussions. Like even when I was writing down mine, I was kind of debating back and forth the, the quality work. I do, I do agree with Alex on this. The games on the field should matter. The one issue I have is Ohio State-Oregon. That is the one issue I, I get we have to look at head-to-head. When I do my rankings, I do look at what the committee – I do kind of follow the same metrics that the committee follows just to play it fair and square. 